and welcome to Step Up Nigeria's podcast. Our podcast is an initiative built to create awareness of governance issues that highlight the cost of corruption and its impact on service delivery. Our podcast is also aimed at promoting values that would help build a society with people of integrity and provide solutions to service delivery challenges faced by everyday Nigerians. Welcome. This is our Africa Anti-Corruption special podcast episode. Um, so to celebrate and commemorate African Anti-Corruption Day, we have a youth panel with us today to be discussing the topic, the role of young people in fighting corruption. We will be speaking globally, but generally in the context of the Nigerian situation, how can young people take these steps to improve the fight against corruption in Nigeria? We have three guests in our podcast today. Um, we have Aisha Salaudin, uh, Jacob Sule, and Joshua Alade. Uh, so Aisha, Jacob, Joshua, thank you, and you are most welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, so um, we can get right into it. Uh, I'll start with you, Joshua. So the 2019 Afrobarometer report showed that young people were more likely to be asked to pay a bribe, are more likely to pay a bribe if asked. Um, so as a young person who lives and works in Nigeria, has this been your experience, and what instances in terms of bribery and corruption stand out to you? Well, thank you for me. So for me as a young person, I would say, yes, I've had instances where I I had to be coerced to like pay a bribe. And I would say the first time it ever happened to me was um, um, during my youth service, I think. And um, when when that happened, it was actually at the passport office. So I, I had to go um, to get my international passport. And then this guy was like, uh, if you want your passport to be out in uh, in two days or the next day, um, you have to pay this amount. If you don't want it to, if you want it to come out in like a week, then they have to send it to your house. Then you pay the normal amount. And hey, I was in Kogi State, so and then my look, my primary place of assignment is like um, I think about four hours away from the capital. So what I had to do was, so I asked him, I said, how much is the normal one? He said, okay, if you are going to pay, it, you are supposed to pay. 25,000 naira and then but if you are paying me you have to pay 30,000 and I'm like wow I don't have 30,000 I'm a youth call member so I was like okay how much can you pay I said uh I can do 26 you see 1,000 1,000 is not enough so <laughs> finally I had to we, we got down I'm like okay I can do 27 it was like 27 I said yes even that 27 I have to go to the bank to bring to give it to you so that was the first time like and it wasn't um, like, but I, if I wanted to get out of um, local job to be in my local government for the next day, I know that that's, that's what I have to do. So for the first time, I had to pay that bribe. And th- there've been other times, like maybe when you get to travel and then this, uh, the immigration guys would like tell you, oh, how much are you traveling with? And when you say, oh, I have this amount of USD on me, and the next thing they'll tell you, you're not supposed to have that amount. Like you have to pay us if you want to go through. So I was like, no ways. Why would I have to do that for you? It was my first time traveling to, but I knew that it was wrong for me to actually give you money for me because I'm going out with cash. So like that, that's been instances for me. And and I, for me, I feel that most times when people get to understand that this is really bribery, um, this is how to go about it. It, it makes it easier for uh, for you as a young person to be able to navigate through. Like I remember that lady frustrated me. She told me, oh, you don't have this, um, documents, go and photocopy it. At the end of the day, I ended up at the photocopy place. I, I think I paid about 3,000 Naira 
So I knew that one way or the other, those guys would have given given her that money because at the end of I didn't need, even need those uh, photocopies I had to make. So yeah, that's that's really been uh, my own experience with Pride. Uh, thank you very much, um, Joshua. So I'll move to Aisha next. And you're a journalist, so your field is definitely riddled with these kinds of instances, and then more so you're a woman. And so there are those advances that women get, um, which may not be monetary payments. So from your experience as a young person and as a young journalist, um, how has bribery and corruption affected you personally? I mean, so I've always known that to get uh, along or to get by in Nigeria, you the society just makes it hard to not engage in bribery and corruption because the systems don't work. So I've always known that you need to pay a certain type of money or just, I don't know, whatever, monetary or non-monetary benefits. And so sometimes when you have money, it doesn't help because when you have money, you're just like, okay, take, and then you know you get it in minutes. It's better when you don't have money because you are forced to wait and stay in the system. So I think for me, that was the first time I was just like, why am I here every day at 8 a.m. when I can just pay the money and I'll get my driver's license? And so I think that was like the first time in my adult life that I had to like personally pay on my own, not like someone doing it for me. But like in regards to my work, it's I can't particularly relate because I don't work with the media on the ground that is very this doesn't mean it doesn't exist in international media, but bribery and corruption in terms of journalism is less when you compare it to the local media where first of all they are riddled with very bad salaries and then someone offers them a lot of money to cover a particular story or something like that you can't say that you would i mean obviously the expectation is that they don't collect it but the system just makes it difficult so personally i haven't had to experience this it's not a thing for me but obviously i have friends on the field who are who are earning even lower than nigeria's minimum Mom wage, for example, um, who are offered free time to cover such amount um, um, different stories. Like it's a real thing. Everybody knows it's happening. Even some bosses and editors with me, um, local media, with media in general, would say things like, "If you really want to get by, if they give you something, accept it, and we're going to share it." And this is this is our, like real life stories I've heard from friends. I'm trying to say that in in my field, especially when you're working for media, um, local media, because there are a lot of factors. Um, there are a lot of factors that contribute into you not being satisfied with your job. So, for example, there isn't a lot of money. The media business is very difficult to hack. There's no model yet. That's why journalists, there's no proper business model. That's why journalists are paid very little. Journalists don't have insurance for their work. Um, there's no press freedom. So things like that are part of the um, factors that that contribute into bribery and corruption in, in my field. Yes, Aisha, thank you very much. Um, and I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll go around again, but it's interesting because you and Joshua are basically making the point that the incentives to carry out corrupt acts, the incentives to be a corrupt person are much higher than the incentives to act with integrity and choose to do the right thing. It's difficult to get basic things you need, like your passport, or your driver's license, because they intentionally make it difficult. And you're in a place where you need to have something done in a timeline. You have to pay that bribe. And so, like Aisha is saying, it's the systems around... Um, the infrastructure, the government agencies that make bribe payments almost absolutely necessary. So we'll move to you, um, Jacob. Uh, even from like the human rights angle, just tell us some stories from your personal experiences um, as a young person in the fight against corruption. All right, thank you very much. Um, to me, it's something you keep, you have to get in touch with it. Like you see it every day, day in, day out. You see bribery, you see 
brown envelopes flying. You see people exchanging monies. People, some people call it to fast track your process. Some call it gratuity. Some call it appreciation. And then you see so many names being branded with bribery and corruption in Nigeria. But for me, there are so many um, instances that stands out. But then I'll just give very two um, two examples. I remember when I was um, serving in Kogi State, just like Joshua said, I served in 2012 as a copper. And then before we got posted like into a different piece of my assignment, I was platoon leader for my platoon. And then there was this belief that as a platoon leader, you're supposed to get a juicy place of primary assignment. But then my platoon coordinator was like, he was given some, like some body language thinking that, oh, Jacob, you must at least grease my palm. But then I resisted all that. And then along the line, somehow, somehow, I got a very juicy placement in which I had to serve as a lecturer in a federal institution. That wasn't enough. Then during the process of doing clearance, you see your LGI comes to you, oh, Jacob, before you can sign this, um, this clearance, we understand you're a lecturer in a federal institution. You earn much more than what your colleagues earn yet. You must at least pay some things. And then at some point, when you get into, um, let, let's say, the, the NY secretary to sign, I get in as early as 8 o'clock, but then you will not be able to sign until around 10. And that is because they want to deliberately frustrate you so that at least... From the monies in which you're getting from your PPE, you can at least give them something. And then you cannot just do away with it without gracing somebody's pump. So that is one of um, my um, experience with corruption in the NYC sector. Then a few years back, when I decided to go to one of the universities in which I finished from in a bid to get my transcripts for um, ad for admission elsewhere. And then you got in, I, I got in touch with the administrative officer and I explained to, to, to the person, Yes, please, I have a deadline to get this transcript sent abroad. And then the next thing was like, oh, Jacob, you know that before we can push this transcript um, outside, you need to fast track the process. You need to pay for logistics. And, and then the question is, who am I paying this money to? So the truth is, it looks so very minimal. But the truth is, the system in which we have itself aids bribery. So it's a two-faced thing, the giver and the receiver. And then in some instance, there are some systems in which even if there's no way you can survive that system without giving bribe, there's no way. Just like what Aisha and Joshua have said, I've had very untreatable experiences at the Nigerian Immigration Office, even at airports sometimes. So to me, um, the, the experiences we have are overwhelming. We cannot exhaust it in this conversation. So, so I think for us as, as young people, we need to see like we need to find a way to see how we can begin to reorientate the society. Bribery should not be something we should normalize. We should speak against it and then find a way to expand conversation against bribery in every of our engagements as young persons. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jacob. Um, before I move to the qu next question, I'm just wondering, do you think some of these experiences are peculiar to young people or it's like a general Nigerian experience? Do you think young Nigerians are going to have corruption and bribery different than, let's say, our parents' generation? Anyone can answer this. To me, I do not really think um, that's something we should attribute to young persons. If you look at the UNODC second survey on anti-corruption in Nigeria, which was launched last year at the presidential villa, if you see the categories of youth from the ages of 25 to, to 34, or, yeah, 25 to 35, you would see that bribery is said to be prevalent in that circle of young persons. And why do you do this? Because people are out of school. 
People have graduated from their different institutions. No jobs. People want to pay as much as a millionaire to get a federal government slot because they believe that when you get into the federal government um, job scheme, you have a secure job. You're gonna like you can do whatever you want. So bribery is not something in which we should attribute to the young persons. And then if you look at the adults, these are persons in which they want to bribe people also so that their children or their family members can get access to livelihood. So it's not something that is prevalent to the young people. Bribery is something that knows no religion, it knows no age, it knows no background. It's cut across both young and old, black and white, short and tall. So that's my own perception about bribery and corruption. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jacob. Yeah, I completely yeah, agree with yeah. him. It's not a thing limited to young or old people. In fact, just from ex personal experience, you have older people saying things like, oh, this is just always how we've done it. Like, even when you try to maybe suggest a different way of doing things, like, no, we've always done it like this. What do you mean? You think you're better just from my experience of reporting generally, a good example is I was working, I was speaking to an older um, candidate. I think she contested in Benue House of Reps elections maybe four years ago, last election, whatever. And then she was telling me about how older people kept saying, you have to bribe them. You have to go to your constituency. You have to give them money. You have to give them rice, things like that. And she was, you know, coming in without experience, you know, naive, saying things like, oh, I'm trying to change it. And the older people just kept saying, either you bribe or not. It is not going to work. So I don't think it's limited to a certain age group, just like he said. It's really just, in fact, I feel like older people, because they've been in the system longer, they are the perpetrators of this, you know, bribery and corruption of a thing. So, yeah. Thank you. Okay, so um, so what I'll just say is that the reason why, um, according to that, um, the survey, you had like a, like a bulk of people between the ages of 24 and 34 being like the highest number of people who give bribes because um, for older Nigerians, they usually do not try to call it bribe. They would, they would look out for something else to like just just name it. So that's why like I've, I've, I've had issues whereby for so for the work I, I do at the Nigerian SDGs network. So sometimes like we want to do some things and somebody with somebody who is high up there will tell you uh, you are a youth organization. Um, there's a way they used to do this thing. You, know, you don't just come with your letter like that. Bring something like like a forerunner. So like they use different names and and oftentimes like because um, maybe this person is older, it's also like they will not always say um, that they give us some. They will just say, uh, just help your son. So they like, okay, take as my son. But you, you, we know that that's bribery. So for us as young people, I feel that young people would always want to call a speed a speed. So if you are if I'm giving you a bribe, I'll tell you like this, what I am doing is not right. It reminds me of a case when I was in, in secondary school and this teacher asked for a bribe for something. And I'm like, but this is not right. And he looked at me and I was like, oh, this is not right, right? And, but he was, he was way older. He didn't call it as bribe. He came in another name, in another form. But I feel that no matter your age range, bribery is in Nigeria is localized. Whether you are five or you are 50, everybody is susceptible to to bribery. So I would like to also ask, um, so Transparency International again has a list about 15 ways young people can act against corruption, including demanding accountability, petitions, election monitoring and the likes. Um, so as young people who have impressive network, network sorry, with other young people, um, have you tried any of these approaches to like motivate change? Uh, what do you think has worked and can work? Okay. Um... I think 
demanding accountability is just generally my thing. And I say demanding accountability because no matter how much, and I'm not trying to discount um, the need to educate people on not giving bribery and corruption, but no matter how much we do that, if the systems don't change, then it's very, very difficult to merge the two of them together. You're telling me not to engage in um, bribery. You're telling me to avoid corruption, but the systems in place make it very difficult to do that. Um, it doesn't really merge. So part of what I've been doing, especially in my reporting, is just constantly demanding um, accountability from people in charge. Is it, if it's the government, if it's the um, institutions, I've done so many reports, I can't think of them, not just in Nigeria, even across Africa, you know, demanding accountability on certain things. A good example, I think, is, so there was a project that was, oh, shit, I don't have the details, but there was a project in Yobe State, and I think the Yobe State government, in one local government, I will try to get the name after, I should have thought of this before, and then the government kept coming on online to say, oh, we built this well, we did this for the constituents, this and that, and I had a friend who was serving in in that local government at the time. So he came to me and said, yo, these guys are lying because I served there. I don't know, maybe it's another local government. And so what I did was, was just gather a couple of reports, um, got my colleagues to bombard them with phone calls. They were so exhausted. I'm sure if you mention my name in that local government today, it would be like, oh, that annoying girl. So like, I feel like when we continuously demand accountability in such ways, you're not only pushing them to do the right thing, you're also gathering attention to that project or whatever that situation is such that they feel so much pressure and they either do something about it or they stop lying about it or at least paint a true picture. So I feel like one very strong way we can really um, minimize bribery and corruption in the system is demanding constant accountability. Pressurize them, go through your local... One thing people don't realize is when you need to demand accountability for something, maybe a particular project or a human rights project, whatever, people seem to know the right avenue to go through. So if something that at local level, people like to go through the precedent or say, oh, Buhari or something like that. Really, Buhari might not even know what the hell you're talking about. So people need to, first of all, identify who is in charge at the local level. That is the best way to go. I like a bottom-top approach. It's get across um, to demand accountability at the local level than to go all the way to a governor who has no idea what you're talking about. So I think first things first in demanding accountability, identify the local players, identify the key stakeholders, bombard them with questions. If you're going to use social media, use it. If you're going to use traditional media, use it. If you're just going to email your reps, do it. One thing that made, I realized during this um justice for UWA, that's when people were demanding accountability for sexual violations in Nigeria, that people really did not realize who to, people calling, I mean, you can call on the governor of, of, of the state, but you have to also call on the legislators, the people that are making the laws, that can make laws to prevent things like that from happening. So people really need to learn that this is who I'm going to reach out to. People didn't even know that you could find the email addresses and phone numbers of legislators online. Just kept saying, hey, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Do I know, do I know who is who's my representative? There's the list. It just took me one Google search to find it. So I think the summary of blabbing I'm saying is basically accountability is key because you're not only providing awareness on what is happening such that you can reduce bribery or corruption in situations like that. You are also putting pressure on the stakeholders involved. Nobody likes to be called out. It's a Nigerian thing. Nobody wants to be cancelled. So you're also putting pressure on them to either do the right thing 
or at least admit that they are being deceptive. So in my work, I've just had to do that constantly so that people are tired of of hearing my name. So I think to answer your question, one way is demanding um, accountability from stakeholders involved. Thank you. Jacob, Joshua? Okay, I'll go next. Um, so for me, I, one of the things that I would always say is that the fact that we always feel as a society that corruption is really part of us, that it would be very difficult to, to deal with corruption, even makes it more, um, like how, how would I say, makes it more difficult to fight it. So one of the things I always tell people is that you need to believe that this system can change. Uh, I remember one time I had a conversation with my dad and he was telling me how corruption started in Nigeria. Um, it was just just something, just normal, like little, little things that people were doing, just give out this little money, or you are supposed to be at this particular point for your job, but you also want another extra job. So you look out for someone you can pay off to get that um, to get that other position. So that's how corruption became so enshrined in the Nigerian system. So one of the things I would always say is that for us to do away with it, I'll give a very good example of um, something um, I did. So um, uh, for the 2019 election, um, as a part of the, um, the One Champions program, and one of the things we actually did was we, we ensured that everybody who was supposed to be a presidential or a governorship aspirant, like take an, um, an election pledge. And while we were doing this, we were, we were educating them, telling them that, that, are you pledging that if you get into this office, if you get this position, you are going to say no to corruption? And the good part is that a lot of them um, actually signed up to this pledge. And it was wonderful. Ironic part is that the two leading candidates did not even show up for any of the events that we, we tried to organize. So, but the election pledge, it's something that really worked. And another thing I would say is that within our, our space as young people and talking about the SDGs, um, for this year, um, one of the things we told ourselves is that we are also going to follow the money when it comes around, uh, when it comes to how um, the office of the president on um, on SDGs actually goes about its budgetary locations um, for achieving the sustainable development goals in Nigeria. And then we'll be doing a lot of tracking just to see and ask questions because all it is really, really important that we, we do not just tell ourselves that it's not easy to change. Corruption is there. It's, it's part of us. We all need to be courageous enough. I know that sometimes it makes a scapegoat out of us. Like somebody tells you that you are too nosy and why are you asking all of these questions? But we need to keep demanding for accountability. When we make that demand, then you see that these these people, um, the people out there that we have maybe the tendency to be corrupt, they will have to sit up. So for us at, at Nigerian Test is one of the things with the, ele the election part, making sure that we also follow the money to see, because it's important if we're talking about the next 10 years of our life being better, uh, for us to have a better world and a better future, it means that we need to check how much is government investing in human capacity development? How much are they investing in infrastructure towards achieving the sustainable development goals? Thank you. Okay, for me, I'll take from where Aisha stopped, which is on accountability, the same thing in which Joshua also said likewise. But the bit of truth in which most people want to hear is that you can reduce bribery or corruption to zero. I do not share that sentiment. The truth is we cannot totally eradicate corruption. Advanced democracies in the world still live with corruption. But then for me as 
Or for we as young persons, what we should be advocating for is to see how we can consistently, please mark that word, consistently advocate for zero tolerance for bribery and corruption wherever we find ourselves. Then one thing I want to talk about is the issue of integrity. In your personal network, take for example someone who has a questionable integrity. You cannot champion advocacy on bribery when you yourself have integrities question. So for me, I think we as young persons in our personal network, we must live like a life that is free from blame and blemish. So, so as young persons, before you double into accountability advocacy, you must have a good rapport with those persons. That's number one. Secondly, you must have very good integrity of yourself. And then you must have what you call like a clientele base. So people can verify your claims, not just, oh, you just want to trend. You just want likes on social media. But then let things you're doing be sustainable. And then just make sure that what, what, whatever you're doing is for the good of everyone and not just to bring down anybody. So that's my own personal way of, of, of saying we can begin to advocate for integrity. <laughs> Thank you. Jacob is like, yeah, angry with some social media people, the way you're talking. You're just thinking of some tweets that are annoying you. Um, <laughs> but you really, I, I wrote down another question that I would like us to talk about. So two things, what, what, what part is there in terms of educating young people about history, about governance, about the importance of knowing these people. Like Aisha is saying, like, you want to demand accountability, but we don't even know who we're supposed to talk to because we're just living in the country, doing our day jobs, generally unaware of what's happening. We don't know the history of how we got to where we are. We don't know who is currently working in governance. So what is the part of people educating themselves and then being educated in schools? And two, what's the part of education around these social norms? So Changing the fact that giving a bribe is acceptable to giving a bribe is unacceptable. Even the cybercrime culture we see amongst young people is like, how is it okay to steal people's hard-earned money? And these people have followers praying for them. It's absurd. So what's the part of education in changing, one, the social norms and educating people about the people they need to know when it comes to addressing these issues? Um, Joshua, go first. So one of the things I would say is that um, the education parts in transparency and accountability is really, really very key. And the reason why I say this is that we first we, we need to believe that we can actually change people's mindsets um, to to do the right thing. Because if we if 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 we live in a a world that we feel oh it's just business as usual, then it makes it more difficult. But first we need to have that that belief that these things can change. And another part is for me is taking the approach of naming and shaming. So for instance, you, you see that there are so many of these celebrities that, that really hide people who are corrupt, people who have been, who you know that they've made their wealth in a questionable manner. So it's okay for you to like say, for this time around, we are actually trying, we are going to counsel you, or, or we are going to say some things about the fact that how can you be using your platform to actually promote fraud, for instance. So. But first, the education is that people need to realize that you can have this information if you look out for them. So educating people about how to access this information, knowing fully well that, and then also making them understand that you need to have the courage to be able to stand up for what is right. Even if your voice is shaking, even if the people you look up to are the ones that are upholding um, or lifting up all of these people that are doing the wrong thing, it's okay for you, instead of, standing with them to walk away and say, no, I'm not going to do this, and, and then use your voice more. 
And I personally believe that it has to start from a very low level in terms of starting with children. Because to be honest, when you think about it, some adults are fagged. All you can do is change the mindset of the little ones. And that's why I like what Step Up is doing because you're going to schools, you're going to people who haven't yet formed opinions about many things and you're, you know, giving them a different perspective. You're trying to change their minds. And, you know, when you go to schools, you find, like when you were talking about that bribery and corruption for prefectures, that's the most ridiculous thing I've heard this week. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just prefectures. Like, it's not, who cares? Like, it's not that deep. So what you have done, you know, going to educate them, like, yo, this is not that deep. Like, you don't have to bribe for this. You have to earn it. I think it's a big deal. So that when they grow up, they're already imbibed with that condition that, okay, I need not to engage in bribery and corruption. And the last thing I want to say is consequences for bad actions. We have to, that's why our systems have to work. There has to be a system whereby when you misbehave, there are consequences. There's jail term. There's a thing that happens now on social media that constantly aggravates me. When someone is accused of fraud, everybody goes to support him. Like, hey, shall making money. He's collecting money from the white people that colonized us. Like, are you okay? How can you say something like that? So I really think that there should be consequences for bad actions. So away from they're thrown in jail, it is very evident that they are serving punishments for their crimes. That's the form of education because someone who had thought about it before and, you know, seeing the um, repercussions that comes with such an action, like, we'll think twice, like, yo, okay, I don't want to go to jail. I don't want media trial. I don't want this. So I think it's very important for the institute, the law enforcement to be strong, you know, to work well such that there's consequence for bad behavior. When you are caught, you know, giving bribes, brown envelope, journalism, whatever, you know that you are going to get fired. You know that you're going to get called out. You know that you are going to send jail time. I think that is a really, it's, it's often overlooked, but it's so, so important. Yeah. Thank you so much, Aisha. Um, Everything you said is very solid, honestly. And you've basically entered the last question, which is thinking of low-hanging low fruit. So for other young people who are going to watch this or listen to this podcast, um, what tools, what resources, what can people leverage to become creatively, creatively involved in addressing corruption as around them? But what really can young people do? Okay. So one of the things young people can do, I feel, is first having this, open opportunity to really just discuss about corruption and how it is affecting us. So having like a virtual, um, I, I always call them brief spaces, where young people can actually talk about issues of corruption, how has corruption impacted you? For instance, you're trying to get a job, you're trying to get into the university, how has this really affected you? It, it's a very good way of everyone building courage together. And another thing we can actually do, um, which is a low-hanging fruit, I would say, is let's have competitions. Like, everybody watch Big Brother. Everybody sees um, all of these um, reality TV shows. It might not be high-yielding. We may not give you all of the money you need, but something to just put you on the spotlight to say um, a, a, a competition around um, human rights and corruption, how can people tackle all of these things, and then having trainings also. And for me, um, one of the other things we can also do um, starting from secondary schools and primary schools is why why don't we maybe we could even have games like for instance board games that that really talk about corruption i i remember um three years ago i i met someone who was working on a board game that that, that actually talks about human rights and corruption so all of these things like they help and it, it makes you know that every you have this every day and uh, day-to-day interaction to know that corruption is really wrong and then taking this um 
being courageous enough to actually speak up is the right thing to do. And maybe not to just exhaust all of the list is this is we could actually also have like um like competitions say maybe i know that there was something that um, these people did one time which is um, accountability lab where they actually had um people sing um like for musicians just speaking up um, against corruption so if you have more people um speaking up using their acts and crafts to actually talk about corruption is is really really very important thank you joshua um jacob okay thank you um well there are so many tools in which one can explore in raising awareness about corruption, anti-corruption, and all of the topics in which we've discussed. Then, as a matter of fact, for us at Human Rights Cafe, we're planning to host a maiden edition of a competition on human rights issues across all rights, and then it's strictly for secondary school students and those in junior classes. Let them come and share their thoughts, both in spoken words and then in essays. What is their perception about human rights issues? How can they begin to speak at themselves as advocates at a very tender age? Just like the phrase, catch them young. How can we begin to instill discipline and then decency into these kids at a very tender age? Then one other thing I want to look at is let, 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 let them understand the role of education for justice. And this is where the UNODC resources comes in. I think we should begin to explore that education for justice initiative. So in closing, we must tell our kids, younger ones, to step up their game against corruption and then embrace integrity. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. Um, Aisha, final comments, please. Well, to be honest, they've said everything. I think the only thing that I want to add is there's so many organizations that are doing a lot of work around um, corruption on, on the continent. And I think that people often forget that they need support. Um, so I think we should just find out the organizations that are working on different forms of um, corruption across the continent and find out ways to support them. If you're going to donate to their cause, if you're going to invest in their business, if you're going to act as a volunteer, we often you know, just forget that there are people on the front lines. You don't have to be on the front line to be part of it. If it's to offer your monetary or non-monetary services, find out the people doing the work on this. And then as a young person, support them. I think that's, that's one thing that we always forget. And I think that's really key. Just, just as a way to round up, let's, let's work with organizations that are empowering people with information around bribery and corruption. Um, yeah. yeah, thank you very much, Aisha. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you, Joshua. Um, really, really lovely conversation. Um, and I hope, you know, towards Anti-Corruption Day when this airs, more young people are inspired to, to do more, not just to do a daily nine to five and you know, forget that there are actual problems in the country that they live in because it's easy to get into that cycle. Go out with your friends, forget that there's a decay that your children are going to be born into, but that more people in their little spaces will wake up and take that torch you know, um, and begin advocacy for good governance in Nigeria. So um, quickly, how can our followers so follow your, you on social media? Do you have a blog, something you just want people to uh, follow you up after? Um, Joshua. All right, so you can always find me on Twitter. Um, I am Joshua Lade on Twitter. Um, I have a website that I, I still need to really work on. It's joshualade.com. And then if you really want to know about what I'm really passionate about right now, like what's inspiring me, it's just go to www.nigerianyouthsdgs.org. Thank you, Joshua. Aisha? Yeah, for me, it's Twitter, because I'm always on Twitter. So Aisha Salahuddin, literally my name, that's my handle on Twitter. That's the best way to find me. Thank you. And Jacob? 
Okay, thank you. To find me, you can find me on Twitter at Sule Jacob. And then for the new initiative, which we just launched on human rights advocacy, you can check us on Twitter also at Rights Cafe. Then for education and justice initiative on the SDGs and all that, you can find us on I Read to Live initiative. And the website is www.iretolive.org. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, for our listeners, please remember to follow Step Up Nigeria on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at step underscore up underscore Nigeria. We hope you really have enjoyed this episode. Thank you for watching and or listening. Uh, see you on the next one. Goodbye.